Ezekiel chapter 4, if you'll turn there for our evening study here. And Father, we ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. And we're so grateful that we can come together and uh, look at this book that was written by an incredible prophet, the visions that he has, the prophecies that are given to him at a time when it was very difficult, uh, a time of uh, where you are dealing with your people. They're off in the captivity, uh, but yet you have not given up on them. And there's a glorious plan ahead for them that you would bring them back into the land. And there's future implication as well. And Lord, we know that in the difficult days that we're in, in uncertainty, that we can trust your word. And we know that you're working and that uh, the prophetic scenario that is before us, that is yet ahead, will be fulfilled. And we can stand on that and be established in that. So help us to be, as we saw last week, watchmen on the wall, even as Ezekiel was told, it's a word for us. And we want to continue to do that, being established in the word and then giving that word to others as well. So bless this time as we study uh, Ezekiel, these chapters ahead of us here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, of course, Ezekiel, as you know, that we've already reviewed and gone over it, that he's off in captivity. The 70 years of captivity began in 605 B.C. as Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and uh, the choice man of Judah away captive. And Daniel is in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar at this time that Ezekiel is prophesying. So God has his prophets working even though the people had rebelled against him. They're going off into captivity. And there is Daniel in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. There's Ezekiel. He's at the river Chapar. He's with the other captives. And he is prophesying and showing and telling us of the visions that were given to him by the Lord. And then Jeremiah, as we went through the book of Jeremiah, through most of last year in 2020, that we know that uh, Jeremiah is there in Jerusalem and he is speaking the word to the leaders there, the religious leaders and the civil leaders, and particularly Jehoiakim and then Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. And it was difficult days because the people had decided to follow the dictates of their evil hearts. And as we go through these uh, prophecies and visions that Ezekiel had, particularly here tonight, we're going to see that the Lord has very harsh words to say concerning judgment that would come to the people, very difficult times. And it really shows us what sin does. Sin is just bad news, and it will take you down a road that you don't want to go and will lead to captivity. So always keep that in mind as we go through these uh, chapters of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, as we saw last time, was told to be a watchman on the wall, and he was to warn the people. And, of course, he was to warn the people in that he was to speak the words of the Lord. So the application for you and for me today is we're to be watchmen on the wall. And the watchman would be on the wall of those ancient cities. He would look out, and if he saw danger coming uh, or the enemy coming, then he was to warn the people. And the people had a responsibility to take heed to the watchman. You and I today, we are to be watchmen on the wall. And what we are to do, what that entails is, first of all, 
is that we are to give warning. And, and we are to tell people that, listen, that even today, the days in which we are living in are very unique times. I believe we are in the last days. I believe that the Lord can come for us soon, very soon. And I believe that we are seeing the birth pangs, the signs that are unfolding right before us. And we will talk about some of those as we continue through the book of Ezekiel. So first of all, we give warning, hey, that the Lord is coming back. And we also, we speak truth. And that's what they were to do. Ezekiel, he was told, speak my words to the people, even though they may not listen to it and receive it. They're a rebellious people. We are to speak truth as well. And we're to give the truth in love. Always remember that. Giving the gospel, giving the truth of God's word to others. And it may not be received, and oftentimes it will be rejected or people will be hostile towards us because of the culture in which we live in. And we are to continue, though, to watch. We are to warn. We are to speak truth. And we're to have discernment. And it's important for us as Christians to have discernment concerning the days in which we are living in. And I think that a lot of Christians can ignore the days in which we are living in because they're not being told what is ahead for us, that we're to be the wise and faithful servant that is looking for the master's return. So we're to be watching. We're to give warning. And when we watch, all throughout the New Testament, we're told to do that repeatedly. It means watch out for the enemy. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then also be looking and watching for the Lord. Uh, we are to look for him. And that gives wisdom uh, as uh, we do that and occupy till he comes. Uh, but very important words for us as we continue. So as we pick it up at chapter 4, we're going to see that Ezekiel uh, is going to be speaking concerning the judgment that would come to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. We read that you also, son of man, in chapter 4, verse 1, take a clay tablet and lay it before you, and pottery, uh, or pro, uh, portray, that is, it, uh, a city, Jerusalem. So what he's supposed to do is he's going to make this diagram, if you would, of Jerusalem. And what had happened during this time is that the false prophets were on the scene, and particularly in Jerusalem, and also they are theirs. We're going to see in the book of Ezekiel, often the captivity. The captivity began in 605 B.C., and what they begin to say about the second deportation as Ezekiel was taken off is that we're only going to be in captivity for a couple more years. Jeremiah, of course, he spoke and said that it's going to be 70 years of captivity. And they said that Jerusalem's not going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be good. Matter of fact, they're going to be saying that God's not going to allow that to happen, the destruction of Jerusalem, because we have the temple, the temple, the temple. They were putting their trust in the temple, in the building, rather than putting their trust in the Lord. So what you're to do, you're to pro, uh, portray this, this tablet of the city of Jerusalem and then verse 2, lay siege against it, build a siege wall against it, and heap up a mount against it, set camps against it also, and place battering rams against it all around. And moreover, take for yourself 
an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face against it and it shall be besieged and you shall lay siege against it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. Now, Ezekiel is told to do these certain demonstrations, and Jeremiah did the same thing. Matter of fact, we read in Jeremiah where he took the leaders of the city of Jerusalem, and he would go outside of the dung gate that faced the valley of Gehenna, and he took a clay pot, and he took it, and he threw it down and it shattered and he said this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem because of your disobedience so Jeremiah he had illustrations that he gave he was told at one time to go from Jerusalem clear over to the river Euphrates bury this sash that he was to do kind of like this belt that they would wear and then after many days he would have to go back there that was a long walk and then bring it back and wear it and walk through the city of Jerusalem talking about that this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem decayed and 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 you know ruined and all of that so we see that Ezekiel it wasn't easy being a prophet back in these days I mean they had had incredible visions but they would be persecuted and they would have these illustrations that they would have to give just like Isaiah did he had to walk through the streets of Jerusalem in his undergarment but here as we continue to look at this that the city is going to be sieged there there is going to be you know this attack against Jerusalem and then we read in verse 4 lie on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it according to the number of the days that you lie on it you shall bear their iniquity for I have laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days 390 days so you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel and when you have completed them verse 6 tells us lie again on your right side and then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of judah 40 days i have laid on you a day for each year so this is interesting here in verses four through six ezekiel is told to lay on his side for a total 390 days and as you read that you think well 390 days that's over a year the jewish calendar at this time is 360 days so you're talking about 13 months here that ezekiel is told to lay on his side and as he lays on his side um 390 days for the iniquity uh, of the house of Israel uh, he is to lay on one side did that mean that he just stayed there for 13 months for 390 days probably what it meant for a period of time during the day that he would lay on his side of course you know he would have to eat and there's going to be some instructions on his eating during this time it's going to be the diet of famine and then also maybe perhaps it was at night that he would do it or a certain amount of day did he do it to where people could see him that it was displayed and the people would see the the diet of a famine they would see him laying on his side for the iniquities of the house of Israel so it's interesting what is going on here and then he was to do it 390 days for the iniquity of the house of Israel and then 40 days for the iniquity of the house of Judah and as you add those days up it comes out to 430 days now what exactly are these days what does it exactly mean the numbers there's debate concerning that 
some have said that 390, what that represents of the iniquity of the house of Israel, what it represents is Rehoboam after the reign of Solomon. Solomon reigned during the greatest peace and power and prosperity of Israel. He built the first temple. Um, there was great prosperity in the land, as I said. But after he died, he had actually introduced the nation into idol worship with his foreign wives. He even built altars to those foreign gods and burnt incense to them. And we know that his son Rehoboam came to rule. And it was during the reign of Rehoboam that the ten northern tribes broke off. And they were the house of Israel. And then the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were the house of Judah. So the time of Rehoboam to Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, was actually 394 years. But the first four years of Rehoboam, uh, they considered he was walking with God. So the 390 uh, years, does it represent that? Uh, again, it's open to debate. 40 years for the, the iniquity of the house of Judah. Some have said that perhaps that this is a future implication as well. And maybe the 40 years of the house of Judah, we don't know for sure, but he's told to lay on his side during that time and he, further instruction is given to him verse 7 that therefore you shall set your face towards the siege of Jerusalem so remember he's to the east he's to set his face towards Jerusalem and your arm shall be uh, uncovered and you shall prophesy against it and surely I will restrain you so that you cannot turn from one side to another till you've ended the days of your siege so during this time he's to lay on his side looking towards Jerusalem uh, tied up some way he's restrained in some way uh, as he is laying there so he doesn't roll over and and all of that and verse 9, and take for yourself wheat, barley, beans, lentil, millet, and spilt. Put them in one vessel and make bread of them for yourself during the number of days that you lie on your side. 390 days you shall eat it. And your food which you eat shall be by weight 20 shekels a day from time to time you shall eat it. And you shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hen. From time to time you shall drink it. So as we look at this, a special diet during this time, it's, as I've already mentioned, the food of famine during the days of famine that would uh, come during their rebellion. Remember that in Jeremiah, that right before the destruction of Jerusalem, when he was thrown into that cistern there, that the daily provision of bread was running out. Uh, the Babylonians were coming. Famine was in the land. So it's the diet of famine, and food would be scarce. And what we're talking about is very little water, about 22 ounces of water, and 8 ounces of bread that would be given the diet of Ezekiel during those 390 days that he is told to eat it. And in verse 12, and you shall eat it as barley cakes, bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. Then the Lord says, so shall the children of Israel eat defiled bread among the Gentiles where I will drive them. And so I said, verse 14, Ah, Lord God, indeed, I have never defiled myself from my youth till now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, 
nor has abominable flesh ever come into my mouth. So it would be scarce times that oftentimes that, that animal dung was used for fires. Uh, as it dried up, they would put it in with perhaps a little bit of wood or coal, whatever they had. But here is interesting, uh, as they would use it to cook the food. They weren't to eat it, but they were cooking it, and it would smell bad. And here he is told that you are to use human waste. Now, that would be even worse. And it was a sign of judgment that was coming to Judah and Jerusalem. But what it tells us, that as they would burn it, that it would really stink. And I think what the Lord would say to you and to me, we need to always remember this, is that sin stinks. Listen, it stinks. And, and it, it's just bad news. And if I pray that we never come to the point as Christians that we think it's okay to sin, that, you know, no big deal. Uh, it's, it's, you know, boys will be boys. It happens. Everybody does it. That, that we would have that kind of mindset towards sin. Listen, sin stinks, and it, it brings hurt, and it brings famine to our souls. All these things that we can make application, and it defiles. And their food, if they, they would use the human waste to even burn with fire, it would be the food def defiled. And that's what sin does. And in verse 15, then he said to me, See, I am giving you cow dung instead of human waste, and you shall prepare your bread over it. So uh, by God's grace, he gets to use cow dung, pasture patties, uh, so he can eat, and it isn't defiled food. In verse 16, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. I shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and shall drink water by measure and with dread, that it, they may lack bread uh, and water, and be dismayed with one another in the waste away because of their iniquity. So Ezekiel has prophesied about the fact of the siege, that it's going to happen. They're, they're going to lay a mountain around Jerusalem, and they're going to level Jerusalem, uh, the length of the siege and the severity of the siege. And so um, things are going to get so bad that things are going to be so scarce and it's going to be very, very difficult. And then we're going to continue seeing this, this word against Jerusalem as we enter now into chapter 5. And we read, And you, son of man, take a sharp sword and take it as a barber's razor and pass it over your head and your beard and then take scales to weigh and divide the hair. So he would shave his head. And in the Old Testament, shaving one's head was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of lamenting. It was a sign also of humiliation, or humiliation as well. Um, and verse 2, that you shall burn with fire one-third in the midst of the city. When the days of the siege are finished, then you shall take one-third and strike it with the sword. And one-third you shall scatter in the wind, and I will draw out a sword after them. So divide up the hair into three parts. Uh, One-third is going to be burned with fire, which represents death by famine and pestilence. A third cut up by the sword. It represents being killed by the sword. And then one-third is going to be scattered in the wind, representing their captivity. And, of course, hair that was burnt, I, I don't know if any of you have gone through an unfortunate circumstance where maybe part of your hair was burned. Uh, I remember when I was in... Junior high, they had these Bunsen burners, you know, and one of the kids got too close, kind of stuck his, uh, you know, face down in there, and it kind of 
went off and, and burnt some of his hair, and he wasn't hurt badly, thank goodness, but I remember the smell of it. The smell of hair uh, was, you know, just really bad, and any of you have experienced that, it stinks. And here he's uh, to divide up the hair and burn it with fire. And as he does that, it represents different things uh, because of their iniquity. You shall take a small number of them and bind them in the edge of your garment. Verse 4, then take some of them again and throw them in the midst of the fire. Burn them in a fire. From there a fire will go out into all the house of Israel. So there would be a small remnant of people who had not rebelled against God. And we know that Jeremiah was a small part of that remnant, Ezekiel, Daniel, but they would experience the consequences of the captivity. They would experience the consequences of the sin of the nation. And what it reminds us of is don't ever be deceived into thinking that if you're involved in sin, that no one's going to find out. I'm not hurting anyone. Um, No one's going to know about it. That's a deception from the enemy. Because if you are involved in sin, it not only hurts you, but it hurts the people around you. It can end up hurting your family. It can end up hurting your uh, friends, end up hurting your coworkers, uh, others that are linked to you in your life. Because it's not just about you. And you can end up, you know, bringing terrible consequences and, and sorrow and hurt to people because of your sin. Because you've continued in it and refused to turn away from it. And that's what happened. There was a small remnant. They, they still believed the Lord. They were wanting to follow after the Lord. But they would experience the consequences of the captivity because of the judgment that came upon a rebellious nation. And because they refused to turn back to the Lord. And verse 5, thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I've set her in the midst of the nations and countries all around her. She has rebelled against my judgments by doing wickedness more than the nations, against my statues more than the countries that are all around her. For they have refused my judgments, and they have not walked in my statutes. In verse 7, therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have multiplied disobedience more than the nations that are all around you have not walked in my statutes nor keep my judgments nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are all around you verse 8 therefore thus says the lord god indeed i even i am against you and will execute judgment in your midst in the sight of the nations so they had done worse than the gentile nations around them uh, the heathen nations that didn't know the lord uh, he says, you have done work worse, your iniquity is worse. And it reminds me of what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember that he rebuked the Corinthian church and he, and he said that, listen, there is sin that is named among you that is not even named among the Gentiles. And that a, 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 a young man has taken his father's wife. Um, and, and committed this, this sin, and you need to deal with it. Don't boast in it. And the Corinthian church somehow was boasting about it. So that carried on in the early church, and Paul says, you need to deal with it. You need to get them out. And don't you know that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? 
And leaven speaks of sin. And when there is sin, it begins to spread and corrupt. And that's what happened here to the nation, to the house of Judah, to the house of Israel as well. And it will happen in the church. Uh, We need to make sure that we purge out the leaven out of our own lives, out of our families, and in the church that God has called us to purity. And so as we continue here, we see in verse 9 that, and I will do among you what I have never done and like, which I will never do again because of all your abominations. Therefore, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgments among you, and all of you who remain I will scatter to all the winds. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all of your detestable things and with all of your abominations, therefore I will also diminish you. My eye will not spare, nor will I have any pity. Now, as you read these words, these are hard to read, aren't they? And it's judgment that is very severe and intense. And God had done everything possible to keep this judgment from coming. And here they're going to revert to cannibalism uh, because they had defiled his holy temple because of the continued sin, because their iniquity was even worse than the other nations around them. You know, there's a saying that the wheels of God's judgment turn slowly but grinds thoroughly. And it's a sad day for what's going on to God's people. And one-third of you, verse 12, shall die with the pestilence and be consumed with the famine in your midst. And one-third shall fall by the sword all around you, and I will scatter another third to all the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. And thus shall my anger be spent, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them. And I will be avenged, and they shall know that I am uh, the Lord have spoken in my zeal when I have spent my fury upon them. Verse 14, Moreover, I will make you a waste and a reproach among the nations, that are all around you in the sight of all who pass by. So it shall be a reproach, a taunt, a lesson, an astonishment to the nations that are all around you when I execute judgment among you in anger and in fury and in a furious rebukes. I, the Lord, have spoken. When I sin against, when I sin against them, the terrible arrows, verse 16, we read of famine, which shall be for destruction, which I will send to destroy you. I will increase the famine upon you and cut off your supply of bread. And so I will send against you famine and wild beasts, and they will bereave you. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you, and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. You know, this is hard to read. The other nations are going to mock you, but also they're going to be at awe, just overwhelmed at the terrible destruction. And God, you know, is pouring out his wrath on Jerusalem during this time. One of the things that it may bring up as we read this, you might be thinking, the Old Testament, it seems like God's a God of wrath and judgment. The New Testament, he kind of mellows out. Listen, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is unchanging. And he is a God of love. He declared his name to Moses that I am the Lord, the Lord, you know, merciful, long-suffering, full of grace. And he was, and his grace had been extended to them for decades, for many, many years through the prophets. But yet it had gotten so bad that they had, you know, left the Lord that judgment was going to come. It was the only way really to save the nation 
was for them to go into captivity, realize the severity of their sin, their idol worship, and then God had a plan. They would come back. He would remember them. In other words, he had a plan for them. And when they came back, they never went into the severity of idol worship ever again after that for the last 2,600 years. And we know that, that we can look at it, and these are very harsh words. But here's the thing to remember, that there is yet, Jesus said, when it comes to the tribulation period that is yet future, that it will be a time of tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And when you read the book of Revelation, when you see that God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world, it reminds us that sin is going to be judged. And, and those who dwell on the face of the earth that have rejected the Lord and the Antichrist and the nations of the world, all that is going to be judged with severe judgment. As you read about the sealed judgments and the trumpet you know, judgments and the bold judgments that will come, it's very intense and sometimes hard to read. But here's a good thing to remember and for you and I as Christians and a message to give to others is that Jesus took the judgment for sin on the cross. For you and I who come in faith and call out to him and ask for forgiveness, he took the judgment for you and for me. And thus we are not appointed to wrath, as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though these are hard words to, to read, um, there are lessons for us about sin and, and, and about uh, what it does and the consequences of it. But let's go ahead and let's look at chapter 6. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. And say, Mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I even, I will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Then your altar shall be desolate, and your incense altars shall be broken. And I will cast down your slain men before your, your idols. And I will lay the corpse of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. So God bringing this judgment against those high places, the wooden groves and the places of idol worship, uh, the high places and the Lord had told the children of Israel before they even came into the promised land when they're out in the wilderness that make sure that you do away with the Canaanite gods, you know, uh, that are worshipped by uh, the tribes of Canaan, the different uh, groups of Canaan, the Canaanites, the uh, different ites that were in the land and their false worship. Make sure you get rid of those wooden groves and the high places of worship. Don't use them. Don't go there. I'm going to appoint a place where you are to worship. And you see, they were places of temptation. And when Israel, during the days of the judges, they would go to those high places in those wooden groves, and they would worship those idols and the false gods of Canaan. And, and it became a place of sin. It became a place of immorality and idol worship and pleasure-seeking and all of that. When you go to after you know, the nation split, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Some of the kings of Judah, as you know, going through Second Kings, uh, you know, First uh, and Second Kings, going through Second Chronicles, do you see that some of the kings of Judah were godly kings? Some of them 
would get rid of the wooden groves in, in high places that were places of idol worship. Um, some of the kings were bad kings that plunged the nation deep into idol worship. Then a good king would come along. Sometimes he would get rid of those places of idol worship. Sometimes even the good kings, listen, of Judah would leave them, just kind of left them, didn't get rid of them. And it was just a place of temptation for the people after that godly king died for them to go right back into idol worship. My point is simply this. You'll notice that as you go through those historical books. Don't have any high places. Tear down the high places, the wooden groves of your life. Any place where there is temptation, any place where, you know, you're tempted to, to go after the world, the worldly pleasures, uh, to go after uh, those things that are not pleasing to the Lord. Just tear it down is what you are to do. Don't leave that place. Have your home be a sanctuary. Renew your mind with this, the, the word of God. You know, watch out what it is that you're watching and, and, and what it is that you're taking in and where you're hanging out. Just, just get rid of those things, those places of temptations. In verse 6, And in your dwelling places the city shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So everything that they were putting their trust in was going to be taken away in this judgment. And you would think that the people taken off into captivity, very difficult. There was weeping at Ramah, remember, in Jeremiah's book, because families were being separated, that they would repent, that they would awake out of their spiritual sleep. But it took time, and, and for a while they didn't. And God wants them, as Ezekiel is speaking to them, listen, speak to the people. Remember, he's taken in the spirit in chapter 3 to Tel Aviv, to the river Chapar, where the other captives are. They're still in their rebellious state. You're going to be talking to them. And God wants them to return to him and that they may know that I am the Lord. Now, it's interesting, as we continue now through the book of Ezekiel, that we're going to hear that phrase, that they may know that I am the Lord. It's used 63 times in Ezekiel. And remember when, when Moses went to Pharaoh, and God said, Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell him, thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may come out in the wilderness to worship. And we know that uh, the Lord said that I will deal with Pharaoh, that he may know that I am the Lord, that the other nations, when they see how I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, that they may know that I am the Lord. Well, here's phraseology that we're going to see here that Ezekiel says that my people are going to know that I truly am the Lord, not those idols. But what is also interesting is when we get later on in Ezekiel, that when we look at prophetic, you know, uh, prophecy uh, that is yet future, that he uses the term, that they may know that I am the Lord. And God is going to work in such a way that the nations are going to see in the future with his hand being involved in the affairs of man in a very dramatic and direct way that I am the Lord. And that's his desire, that may may turn to him and, and find salvation in him. And it's interesting that that term that is used, that they may know that I am the Lord, but we do continue here in verse 8 of chapter 6 that as we read, 
that yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some <coughs> who escape the sword among the nations when you're scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which has departed from me, but their eyes will play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed and all their abominations. In verse 10, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. God did have a faithful remnant who loved him and served him. And we know that Daniel, of course, and, and the choice man of, of of Judah taken off, that would include Hanani, Mishael, Azariah. Remember those three young Hebrew men known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That was their Hebrew, or their Babylonian names, their Hebrew names, Hanani, Mishael, Azariah. But in Daniel chapter 3, they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold, and they were thrown in a burning, fiery furnace. But notice here that God's heart is broken because of their unfaithfulness. And the question is, what about us? What about us? Are we concerned about breaking God's heart with disobedience, spiritual adultery, playing the harlot spiritually, pursuing the pleasures of the world, having idols in our own lives? And here the Lord says, listen, there's a purpose in all this. You know, there's a, there's a purpose. I have not said in vain that, that I'm going to bring this calamity upon them. He's not just doing it. It's because he's in a bad mood. There's a purpose for it. Because they had gotten so far away from him. And God's heart was broken. And I'm sure Ezekiel's heart was broken. And it should break our heart as we see people are involved in sin, uh, those around us. But then in verse 11, thus says the Lord God, pound your fists and stamp your feet and say, alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel. So they shall fall by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. And he who is far off shall die by the pestilence, and he who is near shall fall by the sword, and he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus I will, will spend my fury upon them. So Ezekiel here, you know, pound your fists. Get the attention, in other words. You know, th this is serious, and, and you should take it very serious. And in verse 13, then you shall know that I am the Lord when they're slain or among their idols all around their altars on every high hill and all the mountain uh, tops under every green tree and under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate. Yes, more desolate than all the wilderness towards Dibla in their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So the third time that they may know that I am the Lord, those places of pagan worship that satisfied the flesh, that brought sin, uh, that they thought would bring them happiness, is, will be destroyed in places of misery. Listen, there may be pleasure in sin for a season, but the end of its way is destruction. And that's one of the deceptions of the enemy. He always wants to get people to think that, you know, if I live for myself or pursue the world or get involved in a sin, it's going to bring me happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment. And there may be, there may be some satisfaction for a short time. It, it pleases the flesh. 
but the end of its way is destruction, and it will end up bringing misery. The life that has a life of a continued joy and blessing and fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose is the one that lives after the Lord. And it's not always easy. It's not always, you know, rosy and cheery every single day. But it is a glorious, glorious way to live. And that's why Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. He came to give us eternal life, but to have abundant life right now. What does that mean? Well, there are those who will say he wants you to be, you know, wealthy in the prosperity movement and all that. No, abundant life means that you're living life the way it was meant to be lived. You're living for him. And you have freedom, and you're not living in deception and darkness, and, and you have real joy, and you have God's you know, comfort and strength and wisdom. It's the way that life is to be lived, and that is to live for Jesus Christ and live for him and to know that his commandments are not burdensome to us, but it frees us to live in his grace and live in his love. That's what he wants us to experience. And what my prayer and hope is, is that we would always trust that, Lord, your ways are right. Your ways are right. And I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to look to you, and know that you will do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. And that's real purpose will come into my life and satisfaction and fulfillment. It's all found in Jesus and following after him and loving him and have devotion towards him. We're going to stop here. Next time, we'll pick it up at chapter 7 of Ezekiel. But, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word and, uh, Lord, this Bible study. And we really see what sin does. It just brings, Lord, just uh, a lot of terrible consequences and hurt and pain. And, Lord, it stinks. And that's the lessons that we have learned. It brings captivity to us. And, Lord, you don't want us to experience that. Your heart breaks when we pursue those things uh, that bring hurt, um, that are um, not what we're to pursue as Christians, the world, it will leave us desolate, famine, in captivity, the Lord bound up. So, Lord, help us to remember that your ways are right, your ways are true. And, Lord, um, that you have just incredible, wonderful things for us in our lives. A life living for you will bring ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. And, Lord, real purpose and joy. That's what we want, not deception. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to, Lord, be confused all the time. We don't have to be caught up in weirdness and captivity and bondage to the world and sin. But we can be free from all that. So, Lord, help us be watchmen on the wall that we're wise, discerning, even as I think that Jesus would say to his disciples in the garden on that night he was arrested, he said, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And Lord, we want to get rid of the high places. We want to get rid of the wooden groves out of our lives. And we want to watch and we want to pray. Because even as Jesus said that, the enemy was plotting. The enemies were coming to, to come against Jesus. And Lord, the enemy desires to get a foothold into our lives to deceive and, Lord, um, to, to bound us up. And, and, Lord, we don't have to experience that as we, knowing that the enemy fights against us, but we have victory in Christ. And, Lord, that you desire for us to be wise, to be discerning, and, Lord, to be watching, to be sober, to be vigilant. We don't want to go to sleep spiritually in the days in which we're living in.
I pray you bless everyone here as we continue through our week and as we enter into the weekend. We're looking forward to Sunday, such an incredible study coming on Sunday. May we even think about inviting somebody to church or, Lord, even those who are watching online on Sundays to invite somebody over to watch, to be encouraged. But we are here to, to minister to others, to give truth to others. So, Lord, thank you that we can do that. Bless everyone tonight and the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.